Hi folks, good to see you all this morning. Welcome you wherever you are. We've got about 15 Office Plus um, in the building here. I know there's some over in North Wales as part of me doing an outdoor gathering, which is which is wonderful. And of course, across Zoom and um, wherever else you, you may find this online. So uh, it's great to come just to worship God together um, in whatever way we, we possibly can. So we're in 1 Timothy, we're in chapter 1. And we are in verse 12. We're going to read that in a moment. But as you heard last week, there was no one who's more passionate about defending the truth of the gospel than Paul was. But why was defending doctrine so important to him? Well, you might just think, ah, that's just typical Paul, always the intellectual, always the the one overthinking things. But actually, this is no mere academic exercise Paul knows that his life, that his ministry, in fact, his very salvation depends on the true gospel of grace. So let's pick up where we left off last week. Say 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, we read, I thank Christ Jesus, our God, who has given us strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can claim, can, sorry, can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Now in verse 12, Paul describes three things that he receives from God. He's strengthened by God, made trustworthy by God, and he has been appointed for the service of God. But in contrast to this, in the next very next verse, in verse 13, he spells out three things that he used to be. He says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. So it's, it's no surprise, or at least it shouldn't be a surprise to us, that Paul is full of just thanksgiving. He's full of praise because he owes this radical, this remarkable change in his life to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. This is why he directs his thanks primarily to Jesus. You see, Paul's CV read a little bit like a list of disqualifications. This is not the sort of guy that you want to be hanging around, particularly if you're a Christian. You don't want to be around Paul. He was a blasphemer. He denied, he reviled the very name of Jesus. Even worse, 
He actually wants to persuade others to do exactly the same. And he was so violent that he persecuted Christians and actually thought he was doing the right thing. It's so shocking that Jesus would call him or even give him a ministry. It's always worth reminding ourselves of the events back in Acts, in the, in the book of Acts, because it's actually very easy for us to forget actually who Paul used to be. When Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, Paul then called Saul, after he'd overseen, if you remember, the, the death of and the murder of Stephen, we read, he began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, he put them in prison. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, it says, Meanwhile, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for a letter to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And I want you to understand just the sheer, I guess, awfulness of Paul's persecution of the church. There's no wonder that he described themselves as the very worst of sinners. But let's not forget that Paul is actually a brilliant man. He's a well-educated man, and yet he is blinded from the truth. He was a religious man, and yet he was not going to heaven. And it's against this black backdrop of evil, of, of murderous sin, that we see the light and we see the salvation of God just shining through. Because when he puts his trust in Jesus Christ, he is saved. And the impossible is made possible. Because not only is he saved, but he is appointed as a servant of God. And having Having spoken about his role in the Lord's service, Paul now talks about how he actually became a Christian in the first place. Let me read verses 15 and 16 again. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, Paul says. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others would realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. If you remember back to last week when Dave was speaking, Paul began this letter. He began it by commanding Timothy to refute the false teachers and now to do this, Paul uses his own personal testimony to give an example of this. You see, for Paul, doctrine is personal. And he describes himself as both a sinner, in verse 15, but also as redeemed, in verse 16. The 16th century uh, reformer Martin Luther puts it this way. He says, a Christian is at the same time righteous and a sinner. 
And this is one of the, the mysteries of the Gospels. So let's just take a moment to explore what is Paul saying here, perhaps what is, what is Martin Luther even referring to here. And to, to deal with this, it's probably helpful if we answer a couple of questions. And, and the first question perhaps is an obvious question, but it's what is a sinner? How do we even define it? And I quite like this definition. It says, a sinner is someone who is devoted to sin, not free from sin. See, a sinner is more than just some sort of moral description. It's, it's a relational one. It, it's about the broken state of relationship between us and God. And, 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 that, and, and that has produced this huge gap, this huge chasm that exists between us and a holy God. And, and that distance is just impossible for any one of us to be able to get across. Yet that distance was bridged only by God's act of coming over onto our side of the gap. God came over to us. He came near to us through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. But it still means that even the nicest, the kindest, the most spiritual, the most virtuous of us all are still sinners as well as the vilest, the darkest, the crookedest, the most evil, are also sinners, and actually everyone, everyone in between. But listen, each and all of us are loved by God. And you cannot be truly saved until you've acknowledged your sinfulness and your need of a savior. Listen, this lies at the very heart of the gospel. And preaching that does not call people to repentance is not the true gospel of Christ Jesus. And if there is no Holy Spirit conviction of sin, you cannot be truly saved. And Paul understood this. In fact, that moment that Paul is confronted with Jesus on the Damascus Road, the first thing he realizes is how he's been treating God. And the truth is, you and I are, are no different. Before before you were saved, this is, this is what you were like. First thing is this. This is Romans chapter 5, 8 to 10. You used to hate God because you were his enemy. You were against God, enemy of God. Secondly, Ephesians 2 verse 1. You were dead to God with no real desire for him. Thirdly, you followed your own selfish ways, and Satan was your master. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. If you want to look it up, it's on the screen behind, hopefully. Fourthly, you didn't really understand, actually, the danger that you were in because you were blinded by the lies of Satan. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Fifthly, you didn't really understand why Jesus died on the cross. In fact, you thought it was just sheer foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. Now, this may seem an unfair assessment, um, particularly if you were brought up in a, in a Christian home or in, in a church environment. However, it's a true assessment. And I know this is difficult to hear. I know it's, it's maybe even hard for us to talk about and perhaps that's the reason why sometimes we are less than honest with our family, with our friends, why we don't like to tell people that they are sinners. 
And I want to just particularly say, if you are a teacher, a preacher, if you need a small group, if you are, are even just sharing your faith, listen, you need to be teaching this. People need to know their true condition before God. This is an essential part of the gospel. And you may have loved religion or at least be comfortable with it. But actually religion is often Satan's greatest device in keeping men and women away from true salvation. Listen, Jesus died for religious sinners who thought that if they tried harder or at least tried enough, they could please God as well as for non-religious sinners who never give God a second thought. And when you understand that you are a sinner, it's going to lead you, at least it should lead you, to a second question. Well then, how can I be saved? If you understand your condition, you understand you're a sinner, well then you know you need some help. Listen, the cross is the central point in all of history. It it lies at the very heart of the Bible. You see, all of the Old Testament was prophetically looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And the New Testament Gospels, will they tell us about Jesus, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection. And then the rest of the New Testament is looking back at the cross as the essential means of salvation and then looking forward to the coming of Jesus. In case you hadn't realized, and I know most of you will have, It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And understanding what Jesus did for you on the cross is vital. If you are going to grasp how sin can be forgiven and how you can receive eternal life. And when you understand your sinfulness and the reality of Jesus' sacrifice, you're going to have to stand back in just all before Jesus and declare, you did all of that for me. Wow. Really? That is how much you love me. You see, on the cross, three things occurred. Romans 3.25. Firstly, Jesus satisfied and removed God's anger towards your sin. Secondly, Jesus removes your sin so that it's never held against you again. Completely removed, past, present, and future. 1 John 1, 7, Psalm 103, verse 12. And then thirdly, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you are declared not guilty of sin in the eyes of God. Again, Romans 3, 25. So your salvation is all of God. The Father planned your salvation. Jesus is the means of your salvation. And the Holy Spirit is the one who seals your salvation. You simply receive God's gift of salvation when you cry out to him, help me, Jesus, forgive me, save me. And God is the great giver and you are the recipient and you cannot earn it and you You don't deserve it. It's why it's called grace. Salvation, God's grace, is getting from God what you just do not deserve. It's a wonderful free gift that cost Jesus his life in which 
you are made right before God. There's a big word for this. It's called justification. But there's also a second process that goes on here when you put your faith in Jesus, and it's called sanctification. As the Holy Spirit makes you more and more like Jesus. Now, justification is, happens in an instant. It's that moment that you believe. But sanctification, it's a, it's a process. A process that takes a lifetime. On the screen behind me, there is hopefully a helpful illustration of the difference between justification and, and sanctification. See, once you've repented of your sins and made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, you are viewed as holy and blameless in the eyes of God. In that moment that you're saved, God sees you as completely clean. He sees you like Jesus. Yet, you're probably still wrestling with sin. It's probably on a daily basis. But yet, at the same time, you're trying to become more and more like Jesus. And this growth, of course, is never constant. It's often maybe two steps forward, one step back, or some days, one step forward and two steps back. But yet, over time, you should be maturing day by day, month after month, year on year. Knowing who you are in Christ is such an important question to ask yourself. Now, there's been much debate over the years as to whether we are sinners saved by grace, if you're a Christian, or whether you are a saint of God. And, and, and it's important because identity matters. Actually, how you view yourself really does matter. And you, it, it'll affect the way in which you live your life, the way in which you, you do mission. And you need to be careful that you know who you are, that you know that your identity is in Christ. So if we take our definition of a sinner I mentioned earlier as someone who is devoted to sin, not free from sin, this means that a forgiven sinner is a person who has been forgiven but is maybe still under the control of sin. But is that you? Is that who we are? Well, in John 31, 36, Jesus speaks to believers who were indeed slaves to sin because of ignorance. But it doesn't have to be like that. Jesus says to them, he replies, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, guess what? You're free indeed. Or as the, my translation should have said, you are truly free. I'm reverting back to an, to an old version. And you are legally set free from the power of sin. So you don't remain in bondage to sin just due to ignorance of the truth. So I would certainly argue if you consider yourself only a forgiven sinner, you've not fully understood the gospel of grace. Jesus didn't just die to forgive your sins. He died to deliver you from the power of sin. And justification by God's grace means that the old sinner in me is dead. Romans chapter 6 verse 11. And it was buried with Christ. Romans 6 verse 2 to 4. And I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. And so are you if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. 
It's who you are. And it's so important that we understand this. And God's word makes it very clear that when we've that not only have we had our sins forgiven, but that we have been set free from the power of sin. And time and time again in Scripture, it calls Christians saints of God. But do we still sin? Well, unfortunately, yes. But that's not how God sees you. You are made holy. You are made. You are the righteousness of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let me read some more verses. Second Corinthians five verse twenty-one. Well known. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In Romans 6, 17 to 18. But thanks be to God that though you once were slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were committed. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You are a saint of God. You are an heir of God. You are co-heirs with Christ. So you are. And all of this has been made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. And the more that you become aware of the grace and the goodness and the love of God, the more that you will love him and the more you will develop a bitter hatred towards sin. And the more you develop this, and the more you develop this, the more you, you, you learn to hate the things that he hates and to love the things that he loves. And understanding God's grace and God's goodness produces this love for God. And out of loving him, you will begin to naturally keep Jesus' commands. As Jesus says in, in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me and obeys my teaching, my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. But after saying all of that, and I hope you've heard all of that clearly, what I'm trying to say, who you are in Christ, who your identity is in Christ. See, at the same time as knowing that your identity is in Christ, you must also never forget who you are without Christ. You must never lose sight of your unworthiness before God. Because if you do, you, you risk exercising your gifts, fulfilling your ministries with some attitude of maybe even presumptuous pride as if God is somehow fortunate to have you on his team. See, without him, you're nothing but a guilty sinner who deserves only judgment. But he reached down from heaven and in love, he came to a people who do not deserve. And by his grace, you have received his free, his unmerited favor. Listen, truth counts. But listen, sound doctrine matters most when you understand that you are a sinner. 
And the more that you understand the depths of your sin, the more precious the truth is of how you've been saved. And, and whether you can look back at a particular moment, a particular day of conversion, or whether you grew up believing from a very young age, or maybe something in between, you can rejoice in the mercy and in the grace of God. And we've heard all about God's mercy and grace already in our worship, haven't we? But listen, these were key words for Paul. God, in his mercy, did not give Paul what he deserved. Instead, God, in his grace, gave Paul what he did not deserve. And we have seen the grace and the mercy of God's love in action. I'm sure many of us could tell our own stories of God's grace and love within our own lives. A love that pays the price to save lost sinners. And once again, I say, it is by grace that you're saved because God is rich in mercy. And I, I want you to realize this morning that it took an exceedingly abundant grace to save you. It is a super abounding power. It is, it is super conquering grace that has rescued you and every single one of us who've put their trust in Jesus as Lord. It's the grace of God that can turn a persecutor into a preacher, that can turn a murderer into a missionary. Which is why Paul says, look at me. If God can do this for me, he can do it for you. A violent, murderous man was called and was commissioned by the risen Christ, and he was entrusted with the gospel. The salvation of this chief of sinners is proof that the grace of God can change anyone who comes to Jesus by faith. So does Paul see himself as a sinner saved by grace or as a saint of God? I think the answer is probably obvious. Both. He knows his identity was in Christ. Absolutely, with beyond a shadow of a doubt. But he never, he never forgot where he came from. He never forgot what he was saved from. And then look where this leads him. Verse 17, he declares, All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. The ESV shortens it down into bigger words. It says, to the king of to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. And listen, Paul, the very worst of sinners, met the greatest of kings. And as he remembers and he retells his story, it moves him to praise. It moves him to rejoice in all that God had done in his life. And all the qualities that's mentioned here, 
eternal, immortal, invisible. They just stress the difference of God from each and every one of us. But they also, they also tell us of all the things that the Son, Jesus, gave up when he came into this world to save sinners. So let's just pray as we close. Lord, to you, the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, I want to give you honor. Were you able to say that over your own life, to declare it? I give you honor and glory, Lord God. And I give it to you alone, forever and forever. Amen. Amen.